Hey folks, welcome back to Behind the Yellow Line number 81 as we record this on the night of August 25th. Full crew here tonight, Jeremy Ramble, good to see you both. Cubs playing some good baseball overall. Long homestand here, three with the Brewers, five with the Cardinals. We'll break that down. Other Cubs news here. Uh, new Newest members, rather, of the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame, including a favorite of ours in Pat Hughes. We'll get to that. The 2023 Chicago Cubs schedule is released. We got some highlights and things to look at there. We've got weather for the upcoming road trip to two domes, Milwaukee, Toronto. Uh, Joe Madden with some comments that had our attention and other odds and ends as we navigate here through episode number 81. Again, we are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Guys, last time when we were recording, we all had a little bit of anxiety about this homestand. Brewers coming in for three, Cardinals with the long one. I'm feeling pretty good about it, right? Take two out of three from the Brewers. They get two wins from St. Louis. All in all, all right homestand. It could have been a lot worse, that's for sure. I'll take it. My, my one wish was that they don't make it easy for these two teams coming in here, and they didn't. They took two of three from the Brewers, a team that I believe is currently still out of a playoff spot, which is where they belong, and they at least did not get swept by the Cardinals. And not only did they not get swept, they won more than one game. So as much as I would have loved more, realistically, that's, uh, I'd say it's pretty good coming out of the expectations. They took, uh, they went 500, you know, four of eight. Uh, so uh, it's not a, as we all have talked about, it's not the best Cubs team in the world. So to go four and four of eight against your top two rivals, we're in first and second, I think it was pretty solid. They had a couple chances in some of the other games that they lost and they won the games they won were pretty close themselves, but yeah. you know, yeah, they took two out as we mentioned, they took two out of three from Milwaukee, and that that's always fun to win that series. You know, five game series, one game goes differently that you could have won it against the Cardinals. You know, they won two and they lost three. So uh I yeah, you know, it, it was kind of fun to see, you know, that, that those series, but I, I'll take it as a Cubs fan. You know, some really satisfying wins in the mix too. I think that Saturday game at Wrigley Field, about as good of a game as we've seen this year from the Chicago Cubs to rally in the ninth the 10th and the 11th and really kind of stab the brewers that are sort of fighting for a playoff spot that that's up there this year. I think when in a couple of weeks, when we look back and we do our show where we, you know, uh, pull aside the most enjoyable or most fun wins of the year, Saturday against Milwaukee's up near the top. Absolutely. Uh, we know that there, this team struggles in extras with the, the ghost runner this season and to, tie the game up in three consecutive innings and then score not just the one run, but a second run to win the game in the Saturday game against the Brewers, especially after you ended up demoralized, giving up the go ahead home run in the eighth inning. That's a very satisfying win. And to do it against a division opponent and to do it against a division opponent that needs every win they can get. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good vibes in that. And and we keep seeing like a lot of the guys we've talked about kind of, you know, showing up and playing well. I mean, uh, Reyes has been playing well. Madrigal yep. had the game tying hit uh, to get in, into extra innings. You know, uh, he's been big in spots. Christopher Morrell has been playing pretty well in this last series. Nico Horner, once again, has been coming through. So it's nice. To, and, and we've seen some young guys come up, you know, and, you know, some young guys and some old guys like Luke Farrell the other day come up who we'd seen years in the past. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see this collection of young talent. And as I said, you know, to go 500 this week. Uh, yeah, you don't want to go two and five, uh, two and three against the, the Cardinals out of five games. But I, I think with this team, it, it's, you just keep seeing progress and, and I think it's good to watch and I'm, I'm happy with considering where this team is right now. I'm happy with the way they're playing. It's exciting baseball to watch and that's all what we want. Yeah. How about Brandon Hughes? 
too. Yeah. This guy's been just a pleasure to watch. His story is amazing. We've documented that on the show. It's well told at this point now, but he's pitching really well, and it's got me excited about where he could fit into the mix moving forward. And, of course, our, our good friend Kern, a Michigan State fan, every yeah. time he sees Brandon Hughes do something good, he texts the three of us. So the Cubs are uh, cornering the market on the Michigan State fans right now. Yeah, you know, coming from the left side, I, I think he's actually been very interesting. And like, he's been a guy that David Ross has been able to go to, um, you know, with confidence. Like, he's not like a guy who's been like, oh, they put him in for, he's pitched in high leverage situations and he's pitched pretty well in them. And he's kind of established himself almost in a role with the Cubs, especially now, you know, with the three better minimum, it's not like a lefty can just bring him in and face one guy and take him yeah. out. And so I think that, yeah, I agree with you, Ronan. Like, he's definitely an intriguing arm that they've had a lot of intriguing arms come up. But, you know, a lot of guys, like, they always talk about, you know, when you first get to the big leagues, it's about, like, you know, staying in the big leagues. And I think a guy like Brandon Hughes, like, when he got called up, like, we don't know if he was going to be sent back the next day because relievers are so, so fickle. Like, yeah. you know, you call a guy up, guy gets tired, guy whatever. But he's, like, you know, it's been a couple months now, but he's made himself – a role he's carved out a role for himself in this bullpen and that's something exciting about you know to go forward into next year i think yeah yeah and it, it, there's just so much confidence right now that the cubs as they get better as a team and as they're trying to win division championships the bullpen is sort of the least of my concerns right they still need more power in the lineup they obviously need some starting pitching i trust this group man they're going to get be able to make the bullpen work out uh, another guy in that vein mark Leiter jr like this is a guy a couple months ago i'm thinking ah, eh, is this guy even a big leaguer he looks like a completely different pitcher in the bullpen and this happens right sometimes guys don't make it as a starter they go to the bullpen you can do max effort you can rely on two pitchers as a uh, two pitches as a relief pitcher which you can't really get away with as a starting pitcher he looks really good. So this is fun. And this is reason to watch for the next month and a half as these guys could be major contributors next year. Yeah, I'm right with you on uh, Mark Lair Jr. And another one I would throw out similar to him is uh, Michael Rucker, a guy who's like every time he came in early in the season, I was like, okay, this guy, you know, he hasn't really shown much. And him and I, I would say lighter as well, like when they've kind of found once again, their own roles in the bullpen and Rucker pitched very well the other day um, in, in, getting that that win so uh yeah i you know i agree with you i feel like jed and the pitching infrastructure has like shown they're able to find guys you know to be like they've developed their own and they've also gone out and like found you know michael gibbons david robertson brought a bunch of guys in they did this last year andrew chafin and, and other guys and they've shown that they're able to build these bullpens and i i think it's something i agree with you that the, you can have confidence in as a cubs fan going forward like you know, they're able to figure it out. Maybe it's not going to be like at the start of the year, everybody's going to have to find their roles, but they're able to figure out, you know, where each guy goes and develop guys. I mean, Sean Newcomb's looked lights out. They traded Jesse Chavez for him yeah. um, early in the season. He was terrible when he first came over. They sent him down to AAA. He, they stretched him out a little bit, got some stars, and he's coming up. He's throwing like 95, 96, 97 yeah. from the left side. So that's another guy. Like, they've been able to develop these guys. We've talked at length about the pitching infrastructure and the pitch lab and the work Craig Breslow has done in this organization. And this is it 
paying dividends. This is it taking a converted outfielder and making him into a major league caliber left-handed reliever. And it's not just the development, it's the identifying as well. They identified Mark Leiter Jr. as this kind of scrap heap guy that they felt that there was some value in. We saw him make some spot starts this year and it didn't always go perfectly. But like you said, we've seen a move to the bullpen where he can go to a a two-pitch mix. He's doing it without a whole lot on the fastball, but he's turned himself into an effective reliever. And again, that's scouting and that's development. That's working with these pitchers determining what works and what doesn't and determining how you're going to get value out of a given guy and we're seeing it pay dividends so the next step obviously is seeing it pay dividends in a competitive season where you're able to bring these relievers out of nowhere and they contribute to a winning team so we've seen the foundation now we want to see them build the tower on it yeah i am i am curious though or or if you i was gonna switch topics a little bit so if you have more to say on the this i got another reliever to talk about for it Fran Mil Reyes. That was fun. Oh, yeah. He was pumping 89 out there. Yeah, I, I Fran Mil Reyes was, like, throwing easy, <laughs> like, 87, 88. He got to 90. And, like, Paul DeYoung is standing there in the box. I'm like, swing the bat, dude. Like, why are you trying yeah. to work a walk off Fran Mil Reyes? Like, he threw a fastball that was kind of high. It was 90-mile-per-hour fastball, a little bit high. You know, a normal pitcher, whatever. But, like, you're facing six, you know, gigantic DH out there. Swing the bat. What are you trying to work? The umpire's not going to give you that. When Fran, if Fran Mel Reyes throws it anywhere in the zone, it's a strike. So right. the umpire's not going to give it to you. Why are you taking a walk? But yeah, I, I thought he was actually interesting as a reliever. It was fun. And I just looking at him, the body type and all that, I think I texted you both. Uh, Antonio Alfonseca yeah. is what popped into my head. Just the flashbacks of uh, him on the mound at Wrigley. It was fun, though. And like blowouts stink, blowouts to the Cardinals especially stink. But if you can't find a little bit of fun in watching a guy like that pitch, this isn't your sport because I, I was enjoying the hell out of that make a little fake finger out of like paper mache and tape it to his hand. And you've got yourself Antonio Alfonseca reincarnated. Yeah. And uh, I was going to ask a little bit, did either of you guys watch the game or listen on the radio with Pat Foley on the call? And how were you guys feeling about that? Well, you know, I I think the, the different approach that I bring to it that you guys don't have is I'm not really a hockey guy, right? I'm not a big Blackhawks fan. All those years they were winning championships, I'd catch a little bit here and there. I'll go out to the United Center from time to time, and I'll see the Hawks when they're here in Denver, but I don't care. I'm not a hockey guy. It's not really in my blood. It's very passive interest at best. So it was okay. Like, I understand what he means to the city of Chicago. Uh, I think it's very cool that the Cubs granted him sort of this wish. He always wanted to broadcast the Cubs game at Wrigley Field. He grew up a Cubs fan. He's from the northern suburbs. You know, like... This is what you should be doing. And when you've got your own TV network and you can bring in a local legend, I'm all for it. He's not a baseball broadcaster, right? Maybe a little too talkative for times that he's on TV, but it was cool. And even me as a non-Hawks fan, I could appreciate that and enjoy it for what it was. Uh, Not just from the northern suburbs. He's from the northern suburb, born in Glenview, of course. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Yeah, Jeremy, I did catch some of his work on the radio and it was weird. Not bad weird. But it was weird. You you listen to broadcasters, you get used to their cadence, you get used to kind of the way their tone goes up and down. And he's, you know, he's doing his hockey cadence, but he's doing it calling baseball. It was very, very disparate in my mind. I had a little trouble kind of following it, but it was interesting. And like Ronan said, you've got game two of a doubleheader. Your uh, primary radio voice was already scheduled to take game two off. Why not take that opportunity to, to let him do this? So uh, I don't know that it would be 
the sort of thing that anyone, including Foley himself, would want to do on a regular basis or full time. But it was a very fun experiment. It was fun to listen to. And, you know, I don't think I don't think there was any problem with it. I, I enjoyed it even for as kind of hard to follow as it was. Yeah, I think I don't think, uh, you know, Pat Foley is going to be moving over to the Cubs anytime soon. I, I feel like it was a one off. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, I mean, we all agree on that. But, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty cool and pretty fun, you know, just just in that sense, as you know, a guy who's been around basically 40 years, he's been calling, you know, Chicago sports, uh, the Blackhawks. And, you know, a couple dips in between where he, he wasn't quite welcomed around yeah. the Blackhawks for about a two, three year period there in the mid 2000s before they brought him back. Uh, but, you know, about 40 years of calling uh, Blackhawks and being a, 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 on the radio for most of that time period. It's, it's got to be a tough transition, you know, to call baseball because hockey is such a fast action sport. You're always talking, always saying something, play-by-play guy. And so, you know, baseball, it's got that slow build kind of, you know, to let it breathe a little bit. So for him, he's probably a little tough, but I, I found it fun. You know, all the kind of Pat Foley-isms, you know, he's going on, he, he's breaking, like when he's yelling out PJ Higgins' name for making like a catch and kind of, he's like, he's like, Higgins! Like, I'm thinking of like, some hockey save <laughs> or something. And so it's just, it's just funny. I, it was, it was enjoyable. You know, I only really saw the three innings he called on TV. For those three innings, I found it enjoyable. It's not something, as you guys say, I, I would probably want all the time. And I don't think yeah. Pat would do it because he's retired, obviously. But yeah, I thought it was cool for a guy like that. And he did, as Randall said, he mentioned Glenview a handful of times on the air. And I'm always like, yeah, there we go. Being a Glenview boy. He did tell one story I thought was a lot. He was talking about, you know, how he was a Cubs fan all this time. And then he started talking about, like, me and my brother, we used to ride the L down to to Wrigley and we'd sit in the bleachers. And I thought he was talking about, like, as a child, all this stuff. He goes, that way we would sit in the right field bleachers so we could see Ryan Sandberg. And then in my head, I'm like... You were like 40 years old when Ryan Stanford was playing. I thought he was talking about like as a kid coming down from Glenview, taking the L. So that was pretty humorous to me. Real recognize real, Jeremy. Yeah. I mean, he was already a broadcaster for the Blackhawks when Ryan Stanford was playing for the Cubs. Yeah, but you know, you want to enjoy the game day experience. You You don't want to be driving. You don't want to have to deal with any of that. And boy, you know, Glenview cops. They, uh, they get a little whiff of anything and you're in trouble. So uh, I think he was doing the right thing there. It was cool, though. And, you know, I like crossovers between Chicago sports teams, at least the big Chicago sports teams. Like, obviously, the Bears history playing at Wrigley Field when the Hawks did games at Wrigley. Uh, Jeremy, you might shake your head at this when Northwestern plays football games against a certain team from Champaign. That's what's got their ass kicked at Wrigley. Let's just... But it's cool, (laughs) you know, when that stuff happens. I think that that's a neat thing. Um, I will say this. Maybe you agree with me or don't. Um, There's no other Chicago broadcaster, um, mostly looking at the Bulls, the Bears, that I would care to have their broadcaster fill in for a game. I think the only other Chicago broadcaster who I wouldn't mind hearing do a game is the Cubs Spanish language broadcaster. If he jumped over and filled in, okay, that'd be kind of cool. Let's see how he would handle it. I don't really care for Jeff Joniak. Uh, the Bulls, I'm not following that at this point, you know, all, all that much. So it was cool to kind of have that connection with the Hawks, but there's no one else in Chicago right now that I really care to hear doing Cubs games. You know, Ronan, it's funny you mentioned the Spanish language voice of the Cubs. That's Miguel Esparza, who you should follow on Twitter at Miguel Voice. Uh, always great posting his calls. And he follows us on Twitter, by the way. So that's mm-hmm. another it's another point in his favor. Uh, the Blackhawks, as they announce their broadcast teams for the season ahead, he is... Jeremy, you can tell better than I can. Uh, was he with the Blackhawks prior to this season doing their Spanish language broadcasts? He's Miguel. been doing everything. 
Okay, um, so you can hear you can hear yeah. Miguel Esparza not only calling baseball in Spanish, but hockey in Spanish, I imagine, has to be uh, quite an experience to hear. And Ronan, we've heard Jeff Joniak call Cubs games. He's filled in on very rare occasion sometime in the past five years. Yeah. And you're right, it's, it's really not the same. It's I, not I've, the same at all. i got to be completely honest with you. I have been unaware that Jeff Joniak has called any games. Um, I have no concept of that is this radio tv like when when is jeff joniak been doing cubs games he filled in i want to say on radio and you've got the uh huh. you, you got the ownership of the radio station connection here i, I want to say and i could be wrong i might have to look this up but i do want to say he filled in for a game in 2017 and the only reason i remember this is because john lester homered in that game and i was uh I was displeased that we were de deprived of hearing pat hughes call that and because we had Jeff Joniak on the radio that night. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll dig into the archives huh. here and see if I can pick out when exactly this last happened. I, I yeah, like I didn't remember that as well. Of course, I, I might have been at that game because I was at a game in 2017 with John Lester Homer. But uh, now that you mention it, it does seem like something would vaguely come back because I think the Cubs were on seven. I know they're on 670 now, which is a sister station, but I think they were on 780 that first year. Um, but, you know, some other broadcasters in the city of Chicago that have called Cubs games, you know, Adam Amin, the Blackhawks, um, or excuse me, the Bulls play-by-play -play guy has called all his games. But you don't want to hear Len Casper call some uh, Cubs games anymore? No, not until he comes back. I mean, if he comes back, that's <laughs> yeah. one thing. I don't need him filling in. Right. I was hoping, I, what I thought I was setting up with that was Randall sort of kind of taking the bait and going, well, we need Stacey King calling yeah. a Fran Mil Reyes home run or something like that. Well, Stacey King I has thought. visited the Cubs broadcast booth on a couple of occasions. He's a little too shticky. I, I think, and like you said, you know, he, I don't know that he would call the home run so much as he would kind of just put a bunch of his Stacey Kingisms together. We've heard it. It it doesn't really work. Uh, and by the way, I am correct. Jeff Joniak <laughs> called a Cubs game on the radio August 1st, 2017. It was in fact the night of Lester's first career home run. So we have yeah. heard it. it. It it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, of course. Hmm. Of course, both, uh, both White Sox color guys, our former Cubs, Steve Stone, obviously called Cubs. It was a long time. Darren Jackson, a former Cub. He could always yeah. give some Cub insights to the Cubs in the 80s. Well, an interesting crossover here. We're going to talk broadcasting again in a minute with Pat Hughes being inducted into the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame. But there's one other thing that I want to touch on here. And man, did I see some what I think are terrible takes regarding what happened at Wrigley Field today. Uh, prior to the Cubs' 120 start with St. Louis, the Chicago Cubs honored both Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina, kind of the Cubs tradition when they honor players who come into the ballpark, they give them a number off of the hand-operated scoreboard. Randall, you're making a gesture as we talk about this. Where do you stand on the Cubs honoring a couple of Cardinals legends today? Oh, call it what it is, Ronan. I was making the hand wag gesture because yeah. that, that is my first reaction. All right. I know you're churning the, you're chumming the waters here. You're throwing the fish heads in the water. You're waiting for the Randall shark to swim up and start taking the bait. I'll go for it. It. I'm of two minds on this. It does absolutely nothing for me. I could do without it. I don't need it. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I'm not happy about it. However, I am a lizard-brained, caveman-brained Neanderthal fan sometimes, only sometimes, and it's okay for me to not like it. From the standpoint of the organization, I'm okay with them doing it. You want to be seen as being respectful. You want to be seen as being classy, whatever that means at this point in time. You want to be seen as, you know, exactly, you want to you be seen as the organization that at least honors the people 
on the other team, even if you don't like them. I'm fine with the organization doing it. It reminds me a lot. You asked me a very similar question some years ago as Javier Baez and Yadier Molina were teammates on Team Puerto Rico for the World Baseball Classic. There's that great clip of Molina throwing to Baez, covering second, the no-look tag, Baez points back to Molina. And you went, oh, Randall, how do you feel about Molina and Baez being teammates? And I said, yeah, okay. I said basically the same thing at the time. Let Baez be the respectful one. Let him enjoy it. Leave it to me. Leave it to us. To, to be lizard-brained about it and say, no, this is garbage. So I'm of two minds about it. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. It does nothing for me, but that's okay. It doesn't have to. From the standpoint of the organization, I'm fine with them doing it. Jeremy? For me, for me, um, I'm, yeah, I'm fine with them doing it, but for some reason, my I, I don't know, maybe Randall has a better explanation for this. I don't know. But I've always found, uh, as a fan, Yachty to be more, I don't know, I've always found a bit more, not as much a fan of Yachty as I have of Albert. Like I, sure. Albert, like I respect, you know, like he's a great baseball player, whatever. I've always, Yachty, I've always kind of been like, I've, there's always probably like negative emotions in me. So seeing Yachty being honored for anything always kind of brings up negative emotions for me. I don't know why, as opposed to Albert, but uh, you know, it's, it's, they've been in the league for 20 years. They're both going to make it to the hall of fame, uh, obviously. So yeah, yes. they bring your rivals respect. I don't have a problem with them doing it. I, I, you know, you feel those negative emotions when you see something like that for, especially for, for me, for Yachty, for, but, uh, I, I, I understand it. I respect it. I think it's the smart thing to do. I don't have a problem with it. I, I think, you know, whining and bitching about it is kind of ridiculous, but, you know, I, I, I like, hey, I, Adam Wainwright to me is also a guy I've always respected. I've always thought he's like a great pitcher as well. I don't know why, just a lot of negative. I've always had a lot of negative emotions <laughs> attached to Yadier Molina, more so than like any other Cardinal. Well, Yadier Molina is composed of negative emotions in the way that Anakin was conceived of the midichlorians. Yadier Molina is composed of negative emotions. He is negative emotions personified. And Jeremy, that's a good way to put it. Pujols at least has bona fide Hall of Fame credentials. He will get in 600 and whatever home runs, short of 700. Molina, okay, you can shake your head at me and you can say he'll get in all you want. And that's fine. That's your opinion. I don't think he should be in whether he gets in or not. Again, I'm not part of the voting. They don't ask me. Right. But yeah, Pujols at least has a bona fide case. Yadier Molina, like you said, it's just all negative. With him, not that, that it's all, not that it's not all negative with Pujols. Retweets are not endorsements here, but it, like you said, there's a big difference between the two players and the aura, the oeuvre around them. So that that's a good point, Jeremy. Well, but there's no question both of those players are going to be inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Zero question, it is going to happen. Yes, you should hate Yadier Molina more, in part because he didn't have this long sabbatical where he went to California and was out of sight, out of mind for most of the last decade. Yeah, he comes back now, and he's actually playing some pretty good ball the last month or so. But I, I think for fans that were bitching about this today, and man, if you were on Twitter, if you were on Reddit, if you were out in the internet talking to baseball fans, Lots of Cubs fans were salty about this today. What I would start with is, do you have any concept of traditions in baseball? Because this is a tradition in baseball that has been happening for decades. Stan Usual, right? Another Cub killer, St. Louis Cardinal. His last regular season game was at Wrigley Field in 1963. The Cubs had a huge ceremony for him, right? Not because you love the guy. It's a sign of respect for a guy who had a 22-year career, World Series champion, star player, right? So you do this. The Boston Red Sox did this for Derek Jeter. Not only did they do it for Derek Jeter, they brought back captains from other great Boston teams, from the hockey team. Paul Pierce was there from the Celtics. They brought back former Red Sox greats, their captains, 
to show some respect for a guy on the other side. So if you are a Cubs fan today who's angry or upset or bitching about this sign of respect the Cubs gave, like, do you pay any attention to baseball? Do you watch any baseball? Do you follow any baseball history? This is part of the tradition of the game. It's no different than putting up the bunting on opening day. It's no different than the seventh inning stretch, which you do at ballparks. Certain players, surefire Hall of Famers, you do something like this for them. The Colorado Rockies did a tribute for both of those guys before a game at Coors Field a couple of months ago, or a month ago, whatever it was. Like, this is part of it, and the Cubs did the right thing in doing it. And if you're of the belief they shouldn't do it, you've got no concept of baseball history or tradition. That's how I feel. Did they bring Paul Pierce out to that ceremony in a wheelchair? <laughs> Maybe. But uh, I know I agree with you with the tradition and everything. I, I, I 100% agree with you. And to me, I, I think that, uh, you know, I actually some of those gifts they gave Jeter, I always thought were so weird. It's like, <laughs> what were some of like the weird gifts? But and then it's always cool to see at Wrigley when they give out the 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 placard or the score the number from the scoreboard to the player i always think that's kind of a cool gift and so i agree with you and i and they're both definitely surefire hall of famers they'll both get in i think yadi probably is deserving i've you know uh albert to me has always been like an inner circle hall of famer one of the greatest players of all time no question uh, or yadi's obviously is not that but he's he's probably on the he's gonna get in the hall of fame and probably yeah. deservedly so um so i think there's just like that it's because for me personally it's always been like okay albert's just like great like, I respect his absolute greatness. He's a great baseball player. It's hard for me to really hate greatness. I can't do it. Yachty, you know, Hall of Famer, deservedly so, going to be in there. But there's just always been something to me where it's been like, all right, I think I feel like it's because I feel like he's always been kind of, even though he's a great, he's a very good, great baseball player, he's always been kind of overrated by Cardinals fans in my mind. Like, like there, I've always thought there's been better catchers than Yanni Merlina. I've always thought like Buster Posey was a better catcher. Joe Mauer is a better catcher. And, but I, you know, so it's always been kind of like, I've had this negative thing there, but 100%, 100% agree with you, Ronan. They definitely should be doing something for them. 20 years playing in major league baseball is a huge accomplishment at such a high level. You know, they're leaders. They've, and Yachty's always been like a respectful guy. Like, you know, sometimes you, you, he does things and you're always like, well, he's just kind of doing it for his own, whatever. But like, you know, he'll, He'll step out. He stepped out for David Ross, like when Ross got that huge ovation at the end of his career, which I was, I thought was kind of ridiculous. But you know, Yachty came out. He was wiping the plate, clearing the plate. Did that, did that for David Ross at Wrigley Field. Like that's a guy who's shown respect to other players throughout his career. And so I think it's you know you you be respectful back, and I agree with you, hundred percent. You can you can hate these guys, right? Like like I don't like Yachty or Molina. I'm a Cubs fan. Like, the Cardinals right. are my number one rival. Any sport ever, I never want to see them win. You can also respect the longevity, the division championships, the world championships that both of those guys have brought down there in a sense that I'm envious. I wish the Cubs had an equivalent of Albert Pujols. I wish the Cubs had a Yadier Molina. If he had been a Cub this entire time, Randall, there's no doubt you'd be saying he's a surefire Hall of Famer. No question about it. No questions asked if he was a Cub, but he's not a Cub. So if anything, I'm annoyed that the Cubs have not produced any Hall of Fame players in my life. We thought maybe we were getting something with that core in 2016, and now it's very possible that really nobody from that group is going to be here long term, you know, as a member of this organization. Someone brought up the other day, well, when have the Cardinals done this for the Cubs? When have the Cubs had a Hall of Famer? The closest thing that I can think of in our lifetime was 98, where you had Sammy and McGuire on the field in St. Louis hugging each other and celebrating each other and being arm in arm, despite the fact that they were playing on rival teams. You can hate St. Louis 
and you can love this rivalry and this history. And I don't understand the Cubs fans who don't enjoy that or appreciate it. Trust me, it is a million times better to have a rival, an established rival of 100 years, than to be a team like the Rockies. Nobody cares about the Rockies. There's not a fan base in baseball that's like, oh, the Rockies are coming in today. If we don't win this, it's going to hurt, right? This is going to be personal. The Rockies are like a punching bag in baseball. Like, oh, this is cool. The team in purple is coming in town. Or when you see your team play there, they got this beautiful ballpark. There's mountains. I would much rather be in the Cubs situation where you've got an established rival. And from time to time, you can shake the hands. You can tip the cap of somebody on that rival and then try and beat their ass. Jeremy, you know what else has longevity? Herpes. Okay, <laughs> there you go. I guess, I guess, but uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I once again, I agree with you, <laughs> uh, Ronan. You know, the Rockies. Uh, uh, yeah, you want to have that rival. You want to have that connection to another team, like you know, hundred plus years of of a team where you 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 want to beat them they want to beat you unfortunately it's gone you know the last 70 80 years or so it's gone the cardinals way more often than the cubs but i i agree with you it's like who have the cubs actually had that to be shown respect i mean i mentioned that one example of of david ross but even to me that was kind of like kind of a little ridiculous i was like you know but uh i, I and unfortunately john lester ended his career as a cardinal so it was like yeah. that was the guy pretty much and in 2020s last year was was covid year so it was like he probably would have been a guy i don't think john lester's necessarily a hall of famer but you could probably make an argument but he probably would have been the type of guy that would have gotten something for and it's like no they didn't even have that uh for him and then he ended as a cardinal now they have quintana as well but uh I, yeah i agree with you you, you i i think you show the respect for the for the guys across the way you know they were great players. They, they were, they really were. And so I'm going to be happy not to see them anymore. And you give them a party gift. You say so long, do whatever you want. I'm very happy. You're not going to be at Wrigley field ever again. Yeah. Well, yeah we can, hopefully. we can agree on that. There there's, yeah. there's nothing not to like about it being the last time seeing either player at Wrigley. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about the St. Louis team over the next month and a half or so best team in baseball does not always win the world series. Sometimes it's just this, uh, merging of things at the right time there's bad mojo meaning there's good mojo in st louis and it's freaking me out right like what albert has done since the all-star break he looks like he's 10 years younger although maybe 15 years younger right the whole thing yeah. about his age is in question uh, that is something that has me worried because if this team gets in the postseason they certainly look like they're going to take the division title at this point oh Come on, Dodgers, like, come on, uh, Padres, whoever else gets in. Let it end there, right? Uh, they're going to probably win this division. Let it end right there. Kick them out in the first round just to save us all the trouble of worrying. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, and unfortunately, they have maybe the, right now the top two guys in the MVP voting. I mean, Goldschmidt and Arenado are probably uh, – hopefully Arenado starts playing well enough. I mean, he's playing great, but that it convinces him, like, I should probably opt out, see what's on the market after this season. Uh, yeah, I think, I think like, he should opt out. I think it's better for him in his career. Yeah, and so so I agree with you. I don't want to see the Cardinals. I've actually been disappointed because when it comes down to it, like, if I had to make a choice, I would choose the Brewers to win the division over the Cardinals. So to see the Brewers kind of punt it and the Cardinals taking off has been like – I'm like, I want the Brewers to kind of stay with the Cardinals so – they can overtake them because I'd rather see the Brewers in the playoffs than the Cardinals. And I'd rather see the Brewers, you know, have their misery, but uh, I agree to you, you know, last year they had the same thing. It seemed like they were out of it. And then they won what, like 20 straight games at the end of the season. And this is a little earlier. They're taking off now. And I, I would like to see, you know, let's slow down this Cardinals role. Somebody's got to get out, take it, get out there and start beating them a little bit. Yeah. 
Well, even though the Cubs playoff picture is pretty clear here, obviously going to be no postseason this year. Uh, Cubs right now with the loss today on pace for 70 wins. So, uh, you know, looking at another 90 loss season here. But what we are seeing maybe uh, that is intriguing to me is there are some interesting races in both the National League and American League right now. And something that has had me sort of chuckling recently has been people saying, oh, it's a must-win game today for a team, or they're done. Like, there's a long way to go still here. And we've seen the Brewers five games back. Is that what it was when they came back and won the division from the Cubs? Like, let's just wait here, right? Maybe we get to Labor Day. We can start talking about if a team doesn't win today, they're really in a bind. There's a lot of baseball still to be played here. So lots of races to watch in both the American League and the National League. We got a jam-packed show tonight. Lots of Cubs stuff to talk about. But over the next couple of weeks, as we get closer to the playoffs, we will branch out a little bit and talk about some of these wild card and divisional races. Uh, Southside, actually, the White Sox having a stressful time right now and that's something i do want to get into with both of you but we talked enough about teams that give randall a heart attack let's come back to the cubs here for a minute some fun news earlier this week the chicago cubs hall of fame which was introduced about a year ago has three new members and a really awesome class going in this year buck o'neill a former coach and scout for the cubs did a long cool history with ernie banks Jose Cardinal, fan favorite of Jeremy's guy, Eddie Vedder. And then maybe the one that means the most to the three of us here, the voice of the Chicago Cubs on the radio for our lives here, Pat Hughes going in. And uh, I always cringe a little bit when Crane Kenny pops up, but that was for a good reason. And very cool to see Pat find out live that he's going into the Cubs Hall of Fame. That was awesome. One of the few times I've been happy to see Crane Kenny saunter into the booth, but that that's fantastic. Pat Hughes said himself, he's not typically found himself at a loss for words, but you could see as he read this piece of paper handed to him and it slowly dawned on him, he was just beside himself. I think Coomer knew because you could hear Coomer say, hey, go ahead and read that piece of paper there, partner. Uh, just a fantastic moment. And Ronan, as you said, we've all three of us have been listening to Pat Hughes most of our lives. I have spent time curating Pat Hughes calls, editing them, saving them, posting them. So I've listened to a lot of Pat Hughes over and over in my time. One of the great broadcasters, not just in team history, in league history. He should be in the broadcaster wing of the Hall of Fame, but I guess there's more important things to do. Just a fantastic moment and a fantastic honor for easily one of the most deserving broadcasters in the game, something we can all enjoy. I think it's very cool. I think, I think Pat is definitely deserving, obviously, you know, 20 plus years as being a a Cubs radio guy. Um, It's, 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 I think it's very cool. And, uh, and he's had great calls as Randall mentioned, he curates them all. And I think it's really cool. Buck O'Neill is going in. I mean, that was a guy was a long time uh, Cubs working for the Cubs, Cubs scout, Cubs uh, coach. He was the first ever African-American uh baseball coach in the major leagues and that was with the cubs in the 60s uh he signed a whole bunch of players that became very notable billy williams i believe was was him uh lou brock who obviously ended up doing most of his with the cardinals but you know a lot of high impact players is long time very deserving i think it's very cool buck o'neill's getting in so those two guys i think amazing for me though i i know my guy Eddie Vetter loves him, and most of what yeah. I know about Jose Cardinal is through hearing stories of Eddie Vetter talk about him because he was such a fan favorite of his in the seventies. I I do find that to be a little bit of an odd odd choice. Like to me, there's a lot of deserving guys in my opinion that I would have on the list higher than Jose Cardinal. Um, you know, he only played like five years for the Cubs. Uh, he had a few good years in the seventies. Very good player. Yeah. I respect. I don't really know that much about him, so somebody else can want to come out there tell me so much. Like, but to me, like. 
like Mark Grace is obviously like Derek Lee, like Sammy Sosa should obviously be in there. We all know the issue there. Aramis Ramirez, Kerry Wood, you know, these are all recent guys of vintage. So, you know, obviously that's I'm more recent, but even some older guys like, uh, you know, that are not in there uh, that I, I just think like Bill Nicholson's a guy, like, I don't really know much about him, but a longtime Cub and a great playing career, like guys like that. So it's just weird to me that almost like Jose Carnal, he only played like five years for the Cubs in the mid seventies. It wasn't like, but he's Eddie Vedder's Eddie Vedder's favorite player, so maybe Eddie had an outsized influence on getting him in. I, I think that kind of caught my attention too. I mean, Cardinal comes from an era of Cubs baseball that's sort of a blind spot for me. You know, to be honest with you, like like the obviously I know about the '69 Cubs, and then '84, which was before any of us were born. But you know, '84 Cubs are a big deal. '89 Cubs, the boys of Zimmer, but those. 1970s Cubs teams for me it's like I know it happened it was 10 years or so before I was born but it's just just enough out of my wheelhouse that I was surprised at Cardinal I I had assumed he had been with the team longer than he was when I was pulling up his stats earlier and it's not that he had any like massive home run totals he never cracked 20 home runs in a season for the Cubs or anything like that but certainly was a fan favorite and that was something I did know even though he falls in a timeline that's just out of my wheelhouse yeah, and I I remember Eddie telling a story once of uh, as I said, most of my knowledge about Jose Carnell because Eddie better. Uh, he was Michelle Obama's favorite player, so maybe she had outside <laughs> influence on getting him in. Like she loved uh, Jose Carnell was her favorite player growing up, and so and he's always around. I do believe he's very uh, prominent in the uh, like those uh, Randy Hudley kind of Cubs, you know, fantasy camps. I think Jose Cardinal's around there. So I, I imagine he's around the team. So like I said, I don't know a super ton of uh, Jose Cardinal. I'm just looking at his numbers, how much he meant organization, but like, you know, like Bill Madlock won a batting title with the Cubs in the seventies, just like guys like that. And so I just, it's just, to me, it was, it was just not a choice. When I think of guys like, you know, growing up when we grew up who we were synonymous with the Cubs, like Mark Grace, you know, I, he's on TV with them. He has been, you know, played such a long time with the Cubs, most hits in the 90s. Like, why isn't Mark Grace in the Cubs Hall of Fame? Like, that's kind of a weird one to me. Seems to me there's a lot of outside influence between Eddie Vedder, Michelle Obama. Someone needs to investigate this, this selection committee, follow the money. Seems to me there's there's a whole lot of influences going on here. Well, I, I love the concept of a Cubs Hall of Fame. It, it makes total sense, given the history of the franchise. I recognize, too, that this this new Hall of Fame that they've put together is really a combination of various Hall of Fames the franchise has had over the years. They had one in the 80s. I remember the Cubs Walk of Fame outside Wrigley Field in the 90s. Those inductees were also included. There are other great names and players coming. And, Jeremy, you're totally right. The most egregious miss right now is number 21, the right fielder. And, like, even if you as Tom Ricketts have a problem and you like, how do you not have Sammy Sosa in the Chicago Cubs hall of fame? But you know, that's not my only complaint about the Cubs hall of fame. I love the concept of it. I love the idea of honoring, and it's not just players and coaches in there. There's front office executives. There's a woman in the Chicago Cubs hall of fame, a front office executive who broke gender barriers in major league baseball. So that's cool. It should be open to individuals who've had an impact on the franchise. Why is it not accessible to more fans? That to me seems like a huge miss. Jeremy, you had the Bleacher season tickets a couple years ago. You were telling us, you sent some pictures to us. The Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame is located underneath the bleachers. The problem with that, as we all know, is you can only get to the bleachers at Wrigley Field if you have a bleacher ticket. So I don't understand why the Cubs would put a Hall of Fame in a section of the ballpark 
that is, you know, the smallest seating section and a place you can only get to if you've got a ticket out there. It seems to me it would make more sense to make the Hall of Fame more accessible, whether it's outside Wrigley Field, in, uh, I was going to say McGregor Square. Uh, what am I? What's Gallagher it Way. Gallagher Way. Gallagher yeah. Way is what you're looking for. <laughs> Man, Rocky's in my head here uh, in Denver. But I, I don't know why you wouldn't make it more accessible to all fans instead of a place that only bleacher ticket holders can sit in. At some point, I'll get there. But if it was anywhere else in Wrigley Field, I would have been there already. Yeah, and it's not even really a high traffic area, I would say. It's kind of like down I, I believe it's in the left field and it's kind of like down it's like because most you enter kind of you, you're going towards center field kind of when you're going up it's like down kind of the left you have to you have to make a point to like go over there and when i was there there was like nobody there i did think it was cool on the other side i didn't even realize they have open glass in the bullpen so you could you could just look into the bullpen and see who's warming up but uh you know they, they have all the plaques on the wall but other than that there's like there's nothing really kind of that sticks out about it so like you have to know to go there to look for it, to see it. And to me, I agree with you. It should be like a Gallagher way um, somewhere over there where it can be accessible all year round. Yeah. For the most part, anybody can go, you can see the plaque, see the thing. Maybe I thought it'd be part of like a museum or something that would have, you know, some things around it. And I, so I, I, I like the idea of it. I love it. I do think I agree with you. There's kind of a miss to it. And just to get back to your Sammy Sosa point, it's so weird because he is on like, there's a Sammy Sosa, like in the brick, you know, cause they did those construct uh, renovations. So he, he's there. They'll, they'll show his highlights on the big board. So like Sammy Sosa is around a little bit, like everybody knows he's there, the 21 flag or whatever. Otherwise they might've taken those down. Uh, but then to not have him in the hall of fame, like, come on, like Crazy. it's ridiculous. It's insulting. Yeah. It, it's less, yeah. It's less a team hall of fame and more just say, some plaques nailed to a wall underneath the bleachers. And there's so much team owned space, but in the ballpark and in Gallagher way in the triangle building, there's, there's whole, kind of mini storefronts in the triangle building that aren't really used for anything. You'd think they would make better use of all the space they've added to the ballpark in the area around it for something that is ostensibly as prestigious as the team hall of fame. So hopefully that's something they correct as they continue to improve the ballpark and tweak the spaces around it. Well, one thing I do think they have corrected, I do love the addition of all of the player statues over in that green space, kind of putting them all together. Harry still has that spot in center field, which is good. I don't think Harry Carey needs to be next to some of the Hall of Fame Cubs players or the great Cubs of all time like that. But I would make this more accessible. And um, it's just something that, yeah, if you don't have a bleacher ticket, you may never see this. And it's not like the bleachers are the most comfortable part of the ballpark. There's a lot of reasons why the bleachers are not the optimal place to watch a ball game. You're going to have a lot of fun out there for sure. But without the seat backs exposed to the weather, it is not really my ideal place to see a ball game. It's too bad. They chose to put the hall of fame there, but who knows what this is going to look like. I love the concept of it. I love this class that's going in and uh, next up for Pat Hughes, Cooperstown. I think we can all agree with that. It's long overdue and it's inevitable. Like they're going to honor him and just what an incredible ambassador that guy is for Cubs baseball and how fortunate we have been. We're reminded of this every fifth inning, how fortunate we have been <laughs> that Pat Hughes has been manning the Cubs broadcasts for as long as he has. Yeah. Nobody, nobody handing Zach Zaidman any, any pieces of paper inducting him into any halls of fame. Yeah. Get, get Pat Hughes, the frick into the hall of fame. Yeah. There you go, Randall. The like frick. Uh, they'll be honoring uh, Saturday, September 10th at Wrigley field. There's going to be a ceremony. Little birdies telling me one Randall J Sanders maybe out at Wrigley Field on Saturday, September 10th. So it's we'll it's see, possible. Uh, we can't yeah. rule that out. Make it so. Make it so, Randall. Well, this is something that got me excited the other day. We've got a schedule for next year. 
So we still got a little more than a month of baseball to go this year, but already excited about that 2023 season. And I think a big reason is there's a lot of optimism. Like there's some optimistic, there's some good performances coming from young players we expect to be around. Farm system is looking good. Front office is saying, hey, we're going to be really aggressive this offseason. So if the Cubs are thinking, hey, let's try and win a division or win a wild card spot next year, what's the schedule we're going to look like? Well, things are changing in baseball next year. You are now going to play every single team in baseball over the course of the season. So every year you're going to get Cubs, Red Sox, Cubs, Yankees. What this means is fewer division games. So fewer trips from the Cardinals, Randall, to Wrigley Field, more trips from teams like Seattle, Boston, Baltimore, teams like that over the years have been coming out to Wrigley. Uh, interleague home schedule next year. We'll go through this really quickly. Texas, Seattle, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, Cleveland. Always fun to have them back at Wrigley Field. Always. Boston, of course, the White Sox in Kansas City. The Cubs interleague road schedule will include trips to Oakland, Minnesota, Houston, Anaheim, Yankee Stadium, obviously Sox Park, and then Toronto and Detroit. So uh, any thoughts either of you had when we looked at that schedule? Are we excited about this new schedule where you play everybody? I'm not excited about it. I'm lukewarm on it. I don't really have strong feelings one way or the other. A couple of things that did jump out to me. Uh, one, I thought they did uh, an appreciable job of making it so that the Cubs don't have to make extra trips out West. They added the Oakland series on, I think, to a, uh, a series that had the Cubs, yeah, playing the Dodgers. And I think they did something similar with the Angels series. So I'm glad the Cubs don't have to make additional trips out to the West Coast. Um, other thing is that these two... Uh, American League West opponents coming into Wrigley in April, the Rangers and the Mariners. I don't know that those games are going to be particularly well attended. Um, I know next year, ne not next year, next, next year, 2024, the Cubs going to Seattle. I think that's a great road series for Cubs fans. Seattle, a wonderful city, T-Mobile, uh, a wonderful park. And that's kind of the thing that jumped out at me a little bit. A lot of these great road cities that would be great to follow the Cubs to, like Seattle, like Baltimore, like Boston. Those are a uh, series at Wrigley. So, you know, that, but it'll be an every other year thing now. And I suppose there's some value in that. People who maybe live in these cities who haven't, maybe don't get to see the Cubs once every six years, they'll get that chance every other year now. And people who like traveling and following the Cubs to really great road cities like Seattle, like Boston, they'll get that opportunity every two years now. So it doesn't necessarily move the needle for me one way or the other, but for people who are in a situation different to me, geographically i see the value in it so i'm i'm kind of in the middle on it but i don't hate it well speaking of people who like to travel for uh cubs games you know we got to get start working on that annual trip uh, next oh, yeah. year randall hopefully you'll be coming out with us be one of those people and uh you know we take btl on the btyl on the road go uh, visit you know, the land of the angels with you guys yeah btyl on the road we'll visit it all and that's fun but for me you know i'm not i, I we mentioned this well, the one thing I, I will say is I, I like the fact that there's a, a opening day and that day's not going to be changed unless it's yes. due to rain or something, but yeah. uh, or snow in March 30th yeah. at Wrigley. But uh, you know, I like that knowing that. So, but the one thing we did discuss this a little bit during the lockout with the unbalanced versus balanced schedule, and I don't I don't like not seeing the Cardinals or like you know it's cool to see all the other teams uh, come in and you get to see them all, but then that also kind of takes like the novelty away of when you're playing them like it was, it's kind of cool when it's like oh it's the first time the red sox are back since like 2015 or something like six years you know at wrigley field or, or something like that but uh you know not this now we get we're gonna get to see more teams more often 
So I, I guess, you know, that that is the benefit of it. But uh, there's going to be, as you say, there's going to be some fun road trips, I think. And we should get on those road trips and uh, we'll go out and see, you know, maybe the Angels, maybe the Padres have a great time next year and do a BTYL on the road. We'll bring BTYL to you if you're listening all across the country. Pay us enough money and we will absolutely come do a live podcast from your garage or whatever. I, I do kind of wonder now that you've turned interleague play, you've already decentralized it. It used to be focused into May, June, July. You've already decentralized it so that it happens across the entire season. Now you're decentralizing it so that you're no longer aligned against a single division. I do wonder if at some point this is kind of the beginning of the end of divisions. I don't think they'd ever get rid of AL and NL, but I do I do wonder if we're heading towards some kind of realignment so that interleague is not uh it's not as interleague anymore. Yeah. Uh, I do think that's a long way off. And I do think it probably comes with expansion, which is itself a long way off. But I do wonder if this is kind of the beginning of that process. I, I, I disagree with you. There. I think expansion is imminent. It's very, very close. Major League Baseball has made it clear we are moving to 32 teams. So we're going to see two new teams. They've got to figure out what's going on with Oakland. They've got to figure out what's going on with Tampa Bay. But that's not going to stop them from adding teams that are going to cost a ton of money and the expansion fees that are going to go along with this. I think this is preparing baseball for that future. Uh, there's going to be league differences. Uh, will the divisions be realigned? That's certainly possible. But I think, I actually think overall, this is a good thing. Like it, it shouldn't be eight years between trips for a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox going back to Wrigley Field. That's not good for baseball. Like you want these teams getting matchups against each other. I would say the criticism that I have, and there is a little bit of a give and take to this is only two trips for the Cardinals all season to Chicago or Milwaukee, two trips to Chicago. That almost seems a little light, but you've got to do a little bit of a give and take in there. And I do think ultimately this is going to be better. And I think this is going to be good for attendance for a lot of teams. Cause one thing I was looking at this week is all right, I know the Cubs reaction to this. What about a team like the Rockies? Lots of excitement about the Yankees coming to Coors Field next year. Even Cleveland coming to Coors Field next year. There's a lot of transplants who live here. There's a lot of people who choose Denver as a destination city. You want to go see your team play on the road? Why wouldn't you pick a city like Denver to go and see the team play in a beautiful ballpark in a cool setting? So ultimately, that's going to be a good thing. It's just unfortunate it is going to cut down on the number of those rivalry games. And it should be noted next season, the Cubs will only go to St. Louis once because one of those series in St. Louis is superseded by the London series. Uh, so the Cubs get to trade St. Louis for London, which seems like a bit of a glow up to me. Yeah. And uh, those London games, as we remember in, uh, in Boston and New York, those games were crazy. They were like arcade off the wall, hitting home runs like crazy. So we'll, we'll see how that plays next year. Uh, for me, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I agree with you guys, obviously, but I just feel like over time, like the novelty of the fact that the Yankees are going to come to town every year or we'll play them every year, like then eventually it'll just be, okay, then the Cubs are playing the Yankees and it's kind of just the same as almost anything else. So I don't know. That's, I agree, but that is the give and take of it. So yeah. uh, I, I think it'll have obviously like kind of a bump early on, like it'll be big, like, oh yeah, yeah. But then once it'll become standard and normal, then that's just kind of the way it's going to be. And I just feel like, you know, there's a little bit where it's like every, you know, it's something where we don't see it often. Right. But I think the novelty is kind of gone anyway. Maybe. And the pro to this would be you want superstars in baseball to get exposure in cities as often as possible. So, you know, take Denver, for example, like you want Otani here, not once 
maybe once in his career or once every six years, you want that guy to have an opportunity to play in all these great markets all of the time. And I think there's value to that as well. That's my approach as a Cubs fan living in Denver. I often pick Rockies games based on who's pitching for the opponent or, oh, I want to see this team. They've got a star player. I've gone to uh, Rockies Angels games because I wanted to see Trout, Otani, and at the time Pujols, right? So I think there's some value to that as well. It is different though. There's no question about that. Um, I thought, too, what, what sort of had my attention with this series in London, the Cubs have two days off before the trip to London, then only one day off coming back. And I wonder, jet lag flying halfway across the world, you're in London on Sunday playing St. Louis, you're off on Monday, then you start a homestand with two playoff teams potentially here in Philadelphia and Cleveland, starting a long stretch of baseball leading up to the All-Star break. That to me seems like a little bit of a trap window for the Cubs next year at the end of June and into the beginning of July. But it's tough. It's tough to schedule a game the other half of the world, the middle of the season. And I guess the players would rather have the extra day off before the trip than after. But I'm worried about that homestand for the Cubs. Here I am, right, in August of 2022, worried about how the Cubs are going to be playing at the end of next June. That's part of fandom, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a unique variety of damage. Uh, Road trip also that has my attention, Randall, you talked about this a minute ago, beginning of June is this long road trip out west three and sorry four in san diego including a game that a series that ends on a monday which is a little bit of a weird schedule thing weird three games in anaheim so you're just sort of working up the coast and then it ends with three games in san francisco so long west coast swing there san diego up to anaheim up to san francisco june's going to be an interesting month for the 2023 chicago cubs and we're going to be here to talk about all of it it's going to be a month where they they really prove themselves as a playoff team, and it's going to inspire the front office to add at the 2023 deadline. You heard it here first. Optimistic Randall. Look at that. Yeah, he's, love he's it. going all in. It's very I, easy I for me to be optimistic a year away because the consequences won't reach me for another uh, another 10 months or so. Well, one other thing schedule-wise that I wanted to mention here, as a Cub fan living in Denver, one of the things that I look at is, all right, one of the Cubs here, one of they coming to Denver, September 11, Oof. 12, 13. I agree, a little bit of a woof there, Randall, and part of it's because the Cubs were here in April of this year. So I get April of this year, then I've got to wait, you know, the whole rest of this season, the Cubs are gone. Next year, I got to wait until September for them to get to town. So that's a little bit of a bummer for me. I'd prefer it more in the middle of summer. But on the other side of it, we want to be optimistic about the Cubs next year. Late September, Cubs baseball, eh, it could be pretty interesting seeing Clincher. them play in at Coors. Yeah, you can see them clinch at Coors, that's right. Very early clinch if the Cubs are wrapping up the division on oh, September 11. But they're going to be that good. What do you want me yeah. to say? They're going to be so. uh, 100 wins. I hope so. And well, the Cardinals are going to win 60. Cubs here. I sure hope so, right? They're going to all fall apart after Albert and Yachty hang it up here. Um, We'll have lots more to talk about the 2023 schedule in this upcoming offseason. But the Cubs are on the road. Uh, We do Cubs weather because we love the guys at Cubs weather. This is an interesting one, though, because this whole road trip the Cubs have here is in dome stadiums in Milwaukee and then up to Toronto. Randall, what do we got from the uh, Cubs weather crew? Well, Ronan, you're not wrong. And because it is two uh, domed, two retractable roof venues, uh, Alexander Hall, he requested a one-week sabbatical. Alexander, of course, does so much for here, so much for us here at BTYL. I said, no problem. They are in domes, and I can... Uh, very easily look up a weather forecast and translate it into something I can read. So this is not from Cubs weather, but you should still follow Cubs weather at Cubs weather, and you should still follow Alexander Hall at Cubs Hall uh, at at Alexander Hall. But here is the weather report. If the 
domes are not closed in Milwaukee. A Friday night game, 7-10 Central Time start. Sounds like the uh, retractable, creaky, leaky roof will be open because it'll be clear, temperature in the low 60s, and a light breeze blowing from left field to right field. So again, probably the roof open. Saturday night, a 6-10 Central Time start. It'll be cloudy, but still dry in the upper 60s with a wind 5 to 10 miles per hour straight in from center field. I don't know how much the wind really affects things uh, out there at the airplane hangar, but again, you can probably expect the roof to be open. And then finally, the conclusion of that series in Milwaukee, a Sunday day game, 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It seems like it'll be a pretty pleasant day, partly sunny with temperature in the low 80s. It sounds like there will be a slight chance of rain with the wind blowing right field to left field 10 to 15 miles per hour so it seems like the roof will be open to start and then if the rain comes in they'll pull the levers and they'll turn the gears and bernie will pull on the panels and that roof will close and you're not gonna have to worry about it finally the cubs head to toronto all three games in that series are 607 central time it sounds like the roof will be closed monday and tuesday with a good chance of rain up there in toronto and then they dry out for the wednesday game mid 70s and lower chance of rain so good chance the roof will be open uh, so I am not privy to, you know, what makes them start with the roof open versus the roof closed, depending on the forecast. But it sounds like Milwaukee's weather should be fairly pleasant and probably played mostly in open air. While the games in Toronto seem like they will probably play it a little more indoors. But if you are going to one of these games, you don't have to worry about the weather because you are covered one way or the other. So one last thank you to Alexander Hall at Cubs Weather for usually providing the weather to us week to week uh, as the Cubs head back to outdoor venues next week. Alexander's weather forecast will be back with us per usual. Right, and the one thing, up. oh, I was going to say the one thing about Toronto is Jed did say today that three or four Cubs will most likely not be making the trip. Yeah, yeah. Play, place your bets, place your bets. I think we all have, I think we all have notions, ideas. We will, uh, we will see who was right a week from now. Well, there's going to be some real snark out there on uh, the Randall Twitter sphere over the next week or so when the Cubs go to Toronto. When, when some of the Cubs don't go to Toronto is maybe a better way of putting that. Uh, but uh, eh, that's something I'm going to be tracking here over the next couple of days or so and the reaction to that from certain segments of the fan base. Uh, but good stuff there with Cubs weather. Randall, we're going to see you in Milwaukee? Uh, that is unlikely. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Didn't no. think so. You, you will see me in Milwaukee, but it will be for work. I will not be attending any Brewers games up there. Sorry to say. Well, I got to thinking about something. I want to throw this really quick to each of you. Uh, a little super quick trivia here, just about some attendance trends in Major League Baseball this year. I throw it out, either of you. And I think the I think this is obvious. The first question. It's going to get a little harder as we get through it. Uh, what team do you think is leading Major League Baseball in attendance this season? Uh, I'm going to go the New York Yankees. That that was going to be my guess. Was the Yankees too? Wow, I'm shocked. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, and it Dodgers are my number two. Sure. Uh, the Dodgers, Dodgers have a uh, 10,000 person lead over the next highest team. Who's number two in Major League Baseball in attendance this year? New York not, Yankees. It's not the New York Yankees. I was going to say, it's probably not after. Uh, number two, I'm thinking of, uh, let me think. I'm going to go with Seattle. The Saints. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals. Coming in at number two. Who's drawing better of these three teams? The Boston Red Sox, the Chicago Cubs, the Colorado Rockies. Boston Rock, Red Sox. Rockies. Okay, real close there. Uh, Boston is eighth. Uh, they're averaging about 32.87. Colorado, ninth. Cubs, tenth. 
in Major League Baseball. The other thing that kind of caught my attention, so home attendance is one thing. It certainly tells a big part of the story. What about road attendance? What team do you think is leading Major League Baseball in road attendance this year? Uh, I got to be right with the Yankees guess one of these times. Yankees are sixth in road attendance this year. So it will not be this time. Got it. I was thinking I was thinking the Dodgers for that, but uh, I would say, you know, uh, the Astros. Cool. It is the Dodgers up at the top. I'll end with this, and I'll give you both a chance to shout it out here. Some of this surprises me. Some of it doesn't. Top five road attendance. Dodgers are number one. Who is two, three, four, five? But you don't have to do them in order. Just who do you think rounds out the top five? Giants in the top five. I I, th- I think that I don't know. I'm going to say the Astros in the top five. I just feel like people want to go boo the Astros. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe they're not. But I'm going to say the Astros in the top five. I'll say who else would probably be in the top five. Well, Yankees. You said were six. Yep. Um, I'm going to say I uh you know Cardinals. I'm going to say uh probably the Padres that's kind of a weird one but whatever i'm gonna say so astros cardinals padres blue jays i'm gonna just guess all misses all misses okay <laughs> yeah. I'm, let I'm me give it to you. Uh, the astros by the way they're not even in the top half really they, nobody wants to go boo the astros here's the thing i think that's messing up the astros all those games they play at oakland which is the lowest attendance in baseball right? so i think that's messing things up top five road attendance dodgers number one i'm shocked you guys missed this one new york mets Come on, oh, you know those Mets. Mets fans are obnoxious. They yes. trap well. The Cubs are third. The Phillies are fifth. The fourth team is the one that really surprised me. The Cincinnati Reds, fourth in road attendance this year. So wow. uh, wild. All uh, right. That kind of, uh, plays itself out there. The Chicago White Sox, second last at 29th. Uh, those Rockies, 21st overall. So uh, kind of interesting, I think, to take a look at those numbers and see where everything falls there. Very interesting. But uh, the Dodgers dominating the uh, gates, both at home and on the road this year. Mets also doing very well. That isn't surprising to me at all. There's, there's a lot of cocky fans right now wearing blue and orange that are thinking those New York Metropolitans are winning the pennant. It's like they've never once seen a Mets season before, the poor souls. Well, I got a story that kind of ties into the Cubs here. I wanted to get your thoughts on it, though. Joe Madden fired earlier earlier this year from Anaheim. Remember, they had that awesome start in April. And I come on the podcast and I go, guys, this is one of the great stories in baseball right now. (laughs) Anaheim's finally playing good ball. They have been atrocious since then. They've actually been worse since they fired Joe Madden, uh, Tampa Bay Times, Mark Topkin, who's been covering the Rays for many, many years, had a long piece with Joe Madden. And the thing that kind of caught my mind, there were two things from the story that got my attention. One, he's absolutely pissed with Anaheim. Direct quote from Joe. It's like once that happened, meaning once he was fired, he dissolved his affiliation with the team. There's no emotion. There's no anything. It's like they don't even exist to me organizationally. So very, very strong words there from Joe Madden. Uh, The other thing that he talked about was how frustrated he is, he thinks, with the current state of Major League Baseball and teams that he feels are essentially being run by their general managers or their director of baseball operations. That got me thinking back to the Cubs a little bit because he didn't mention the Cubs in the story. But if you were to ask me who's pulling the strings with the Cubs right now, I think the David Ross hire sort of signifies this is Jed and company that's really putting things together. So kind of curious what either of you thought on his comments and uh, is Joe Madden maybe aging out of the game here or is he right to some degree? 
I think all of these things are true. I don't think there's necessarily one right viewpoint here. For for Joe Madden to say that he's dissolved his uh, his relationship with the Angels, that's strong words coming from him. Joe Madden loved that Angels organization. As he came up as a player in that organization, he served as a bench coach for that team for the longest time. He was hired as the manager in Tampa out of that position as the bench coach in Anaheim. So for him to say that he has dissolved his relationship with them, that's a, that's a big break for him. That's him making a big sentimental break. You know, I think he is starting to age out of the game, but I don't know that he's necessarily wrong in that front offices are taking a much heavier hand into those dugouts. And for someone like Joe Madden, who is a baseball lifer, who has watched some of the great managers in league history, who has uh, coached with some of the great managers in league history, who has just decades of experience uh, sponged into that brain of his, I, I can see why that would be really hard for him to handle or really hard for him to accept. He's used to running the dugout, making his own lineups, playing who he wants, pitching who he wants. And, you know, guys with Ivy League degrees in economics telling him, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. I can see how that would really not sit well with him. So I don't know that he's wrong necessarily, that this is something that's happening. I don't know that it's the problem that he makes it out to be. And I do think it's very possible that he's just kind of aging out of the game. And that's perfectly okay. Everyone has to go at some point. Yeah, and I, I would point out that Joe Mann started his career with the Quad Cities Angels in 1976, oh. where he, that's where he started, Jazz first start. Um, for me, I'm gonna be. This is kind of where I was when the Cubs hired Joe Madden. I I was not really a big proponent of hiring Joe Madden, and one of the reasons why I was not really a big proponent of the Cubs hiring Joe Madden is because I thought that Joe Madden had come from a place in Tampa, which if you read some of the books and stuff on that, that was a place where the front office was heavily involved in making decisions. And he was in that situation. And I thought, and I remember, and I was thinking, you know, the Cubs are trying to be this modern organization where, and I thought giving it to him, it was kind of giving like Joe Madden was going to kind of take over the managerial decisions. And to me, I thought I didn't want to give a manager too much autonomy in his own dugout. That's just the way I was thinking because, and that I was kind of against that. And when, when I, it kind of played out and I thought, and I think over time, like Theo and Jed kind of, kind of realized that towards the end, like, we kind of disagree with some things we want to kind of take back control. And I, and I, I agree with you. I do think that's why David Ross was hired. I think David Ross was hired as a guy of like, he's going to be compliant with the organization in the same thought process. Everything's streamlined. He's going to work with the organization. He's not going to just sit there and make decisions like, you know, on lineups and stuff like that. And I, and Joe Mann consulted, you know, all the guys in the, in the front office and what to do. I'm not saying he didn't, he ignored everybody. But I, I think like it's going to be more collaborative, right? It's going to be more of a group effort to make decisions. And I think that's what they wanted. They realized they wanted more of. And that was one reason why I was kind of against it. And I think that's just the way like, you know, 10 years ago, I think maybe there were a handful of organizations that were doing that. Right. And I think today it's pretty much almost every organization, except for maybe on the south side and then Kansas City. But like every other organization is probably doing things that way. And so I think Joe Madden is kind of right. Like, well, this is where the game's gone. And I can understand his frustrations, but I, 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 you know, I think that's just the modern kind of game. And I think most managers and coaches coming up now kind of they're brought up in that way. Like it's not, you're not going to see many more Tony Russo's or Joe Mance. I don't think anymore, or I, I don't even know how Dusty's doing. I imagine Houston has, he's very heavily involved in there. So I don't think you're going to see any more of those types of managers anymore. And maybe that's a loss. Maybe, you know, the Lou Pinellas, all the guys in the world that were so colorful and everything, maybe that is a loss for the game. But I, as a fan, that's kind of how I wanted it to be, to begin with. 
And you can kind of hold up this mirror to his last season or two seasons with the Cubs, where, you know, occasionally somebody would ask him, is there friction between you and the front office? And Madden, the consummate professional, he'd play it off and say, no, we just disagree on certain things and that's fine. But you can kind of connect the dots, as Jeremy likes to say, as to what it was like maybe in his last season, two season. Ronan, I know you have an opinion on this. I know you're mm. chomping at the bit to get it out. Is Madden, is Madden correct or is he just kind of getting old and aging out of the game? I just think the role of a manager in baseball is completely different today than when it was when he was with the Quad City Angels, is that what they were called back in 1976. Yeah. Like it's it's a completely different world. And in some ways it's better. Like I think the managers today in baseball are more conscientious of players' injuries, mental health, emotional capacity of players than ever before. Like you didn't hear that stuff 15, 20 years ago. If anything, it was like toughen up or figure it out, right? Or you're not strong enough to be a baseball player. Whereas today there's a little bit more of a nuanced approach to that and trying to get the best out of guys that maybe are struggling with things like anxiety and stress and all the stuff that goes with being a major league player. But so, so I just think it's changed, right? And I think Joe Madden, I, my impression of Joe Madden when he was coming into Chicago, and maybe I was wrong, maybe you can correct me on this, Jeremy, but I thought he was the type of manager who embraced analytics, shifts, uh, putting guys in positions to be successful, even if it went against the grain of baseball. And that was kind of his thing. Like he did the, the new thing that went against tradition. And it felt to me, maybe I'm projecting here, but it felt to me when he was in Chicago, it shifted back the other way. Like all of baseball is doing this. I'm the guy that does the thing that they don't do. So now I'm going to pivot back to the way things used to be run. And it felt like the last two or three years in Chicago, Joe was doing things that maybe he wouldn't have done his first year. And it was, for me, I was the biggest proponent of him coming to the Cubs. I was ready for him to go at the end as well. I think he was the perfect guy for 2016 and bringing that core to a World Series. I don't think he was the best guy to keep it going. So I wonder if that's part of it too, if he saw the game had changed and maybe that ego that of course all major league managers have made him pivot back to an earlier sort of thought process that is getting cycled out of the game. I hope that makes sense. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. I, I can, I understand it. Um, for, for me, I always thought that, and I, 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 I would never take anything away from Joe, what he did in 2016. He won the world series. He managed it. He did it. That's a winner. Three straight NLCS, you know, the 2015 team he brought in. And I think, you know, there's a lot of other things that he did do and some of it, you know, you kind of roll your eyes at, but that aren't, you know, tactical decisions on the field, you know, the whole running of the clubhouse. Like, and I think Joe yeah. Mannon, at least early on in his career, had a very, uh, in Chicago, had a very good handle on that. I think he held the clubhouse a little bit. And then I think part of the problem was maybe they got, it was kind of like a complacent towards the end where like the Cubs, it felt like the last three years, the Cubs had no urgency. It was like, we we're just wait, Like, it was like, oh, these guys are good you know, which is fine, everything, but it's like, after eventually, you can't just keep waiting for them to show up. It's like, you got to go yeah. make something happen. Like, you know, and, and I think that was fine. But to me, when they were hiring him, and I know a lot of people were excited for me, I always was, I don't know why I just, it just always, I always kind of, I didn't feel like I want, I'm not saying he was a fraud. I just always felt like he kind of like projected this image, but he really wasn't like the guy, that guy behind the image. Like he always kind of like, sometimes you hear him say, I'm like, like he would, he would like, Oh, I'm like very analytical, whatever. But then like, I would have like these really meatball takes on certain things. I'm like, how did those thing? And I don't know if he changed or what happened to him, but I do agree with you. I always felt like he was very contrarian, no matter where he was. Like, if these guys are doing this, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to do yeah. something that's different. 
And I don't know if he just wanted to or that's image or whatever. But I mean, the one thing to remember, Joe Madden was like at the end when he left, and it's kind of ridiculous to think of now with Tony Russa being 78 years old. Joe Madden was the oldest manager in baseball his final year, I, I believe, uh, in uh, at least in the National League, uh, his final year in Chicago. So uh, he was he's he's getting up there in age. He's he's so, he, you know, he's probably seeing all these younger guys and whatever. But I just think today with these huge organizational like coaching staffs are so much bigger. There's so much more yeah. going on there. You have guys like that are just there to teach. Like, you know, you mentioned mental health skills and stuff like that, but also like the shape of a baseball, of a breaking pitch and all this technology. And you have to figure it all out and put it in and all this stuff. I just think like, it's just a different position. It's not, it's not 20 years ago. It's not even 10, 15 years ago where like you just had a manager in a clubhouse and he basically ran that clubhouse. The front office was upstairs and they might've talked, you know, on certain roster spots or certain things, but the manager ran the clubhouse and the front office was upstairs and that was it. It's not that anymore. It's a whole organizational thing. Like for even going down to the Myers, like now you have a whole organizational philosophy. You have coaches that are moving up and down, you know? So it's not, it's just not that that's just not what the game is anymore. So, you know, I, I always will respect Joe. I'll always, you know, he's 2016 Cubs world series champion. He's the manager who did it. He's the only one who's done it in the last hundred plus years. So I will always respect him and love him for that. But I, I just, I just think, you know, he it's, it's moved on. It's past him. And I think for the most part, I think it's better. Well, future Chicago Cubs hall of famer. No question about that, Joe Madden, and uh, possibly a uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer as well. I think that World yeah. Series title, the longevity of his career, certainly makes that uh, a viable opportunity. I don't think it's a lock, but, man, you take the Cubs to the World Series, that's probably going to do it. So uh, we'll be looking forward to that. Uh, Randall, I know you don't have a full prospect corner for us tonight, but a couple of quick notes that you wanted to mention today. There are. I did not want to overburden what was already a heavy show with two-player profiles. So just a couple of quick notes from the minor leagues this week for Prospect Corner. Alexander Canario, the power-hitting right fielder that the Cubs got back in the Chris Bryant trade, promoted from AA Tennessee to AAA Iowa this week. So he is one step closer to the major leagues at some point in the relatively near future. Outfield prospect Jordan Nwogu, the 2020 draft pick, hit three home runs for South Bend tonight. And Matt Mervis, who we have talked about any number of times on these airwaves, if you can call these airwaves, and on our Twitter account. He hit a walk-off home run for the Iowa Cubs tonight. It went 440 feet, came off the bat at about 110 miles per hour. That young man hits the ball hard, he hits it far, and he has made for a very interesting discussion as to what to do with this formerly undrafted two-way player out of Duke. So a truncated prospect corner this week, but always some very interesting things going on in the Cubs minor league system. Yeah, really good stuff there, Randall. One other thing uh, that we like to do, we like to uh, sort of line up the show number for us with players and coaches who've worn a number in Cubs history. It's been four shows or so, Randall, since we've had a lock. 81. Who has worn 81 in Cubs history? Well, I'm very happy we actually have a wearer to discuss this week, and it should be noted that we will not have any more extended droughts uh, all the way through, really, to show number 100. There will be a couple of weeks off, but uh, for the most part, there have been wearers. Number 81 has been worn by two individuals in Cubs history, uh, neither of which has actually been on the field of play. Mike Quaddy wore it as a coach in 2006, and there's nothing that says 2006 Cubs 
more so than coach Mike Quaddy wearing number 81. And then uh, currently the catching coach, former first base coach, now catching coach Craig Driver is wearing number 81 as a member of the coaching staff. So there have been no field players to wear number 81 in Cubs history, but there have been a pair of coaches. So it is not unworn. Very happy to bring this segment back. Go uh, visit Casey Ignarski's website, CubsByTheNumbers.com, if you have not already. And be sure to follow Casey Ignarski on Twitter. Find him on Twitter at KCI99, all one string. All right, gentlemen, one more thing before we bring this show home. I've got a question for each of you, a unique question. One for Randall, one for Jeremy. Randall, I want to start with you. Earlier this week, you went to a doubleheader of I the did. Chicago Dogs, uh, independent league ball team there in Rosemont. Correct. What was the funniest thing that you saw at the ballpark? Was it, I believe, Tuesday night you were out there? Tuesday night. Well, the funniest thing for people who have not been to a Chicago Dogs game, uh, the team has two mascots. One is a, like a furry Philly fanatic type creature in yellow hues, and it wears like a squeeze bottle hat. And the creature's name is Squeeze the Mustard. Very nice, very harmless. And then they have another mascot. It is an anthropomorphic ketchup bottle wearing like a burglar mask. Uh, and it wears a trench coat, a very suspicious trench coat. And the ketchup bottle is known to stand behind home plate, uh, open up the trench coat and flash the opposing pitcher as the pitch is being delivered. Mm. Uh, yeah, Funny. I don't know if I consider it funny. It's a little unsettling if I'm being honest, but it is, it is significant. And there is just this anthropomorphic bottle of ketchup running around uh, this ball field with this rigor mortis grin upon its anthropomorphic face and it's equal parts entertaining and a little bit unsettling sometimes. I totally believe that based on what you're saying there. Uh, Jeremy, I got one for you here uh, to bring this thing home. And I, I'm proud of this question. I hope I get it out right. I haven't written it down. I just hope it comes out of my mouth the way it should. Uh, in honor of the newest inductee to the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame and his connection with Eddie Vedder, the front man of your favorite band, Pearl Jam. What Pearl Jam song do you think captures the spirit of the Cuban-born Cubs Hall of Famer, Jose Cardinal? What Pearl Jam song <laughs> captures the spirit of, of uh, Jose Cardinal? Let me, let me think about it. Um, unfortunately, as we talked about earlier, I'm not super familiar with Jose Cardinal. Um, so I'm just going to pick one off uh, you know, the top of my head. It doesn't make me sad, I'll tell you that much. I'm not sad, so that's not the correct song to to think. I'm gonna say "Given to Fly." We got a guy mm. who who was out in the outfield. Uh, he probably hit a few homers, so uh, I'm gonna go with "Given to Fly" just off the top of my head. And I'm gonna say that that's my Jose Cardinal song. Awesome, awesome. It's a good one too. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear that here next month mm -hmm. when you come out to Denver uh, Pearl Jam over at Ball Arena. It's gonna be a good night for us. Uh, we'll we'll be back next week though. The Cubs hitting the road here. Keep your eye on Twitter. We're going to find out what Cubs are not going to Toronto. That's going to be worth uh, talking about next week. But hopefully the Cubs can do some damage here. Keep messing up Milwaukee's playoff hopes and then see what we can do against an uh, interesting team up there in Toronto. But that's all we got this week. We are on Twitter again at BTYL Podcast. Give us a follow. We'll see you next week on Behind the Yellow Line.